Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through our driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem-solving, decision-making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoint, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can either have your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. And by the way, if you're an HR professional and you're looking to get your HRCI or SHRM credits, we actually offer 13, including a few that are business credit. So if you want more information, just visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. You know, our guest today we've had on the show before. Her name is Rachel Moore, and it was great having her on the first time. We had a great conversation. But then after we talk later, I found that Rachel also has some other interests. We're going to be talking today about something called mental fitness and positive intelligence. So we've heard about emotional intelligence and we've heard about just being smart kind of intelligence. Positive intelligence, well, that's something totally different. Rachel's a great speaker. She's a consultant. She's a coach. She's got really practical tips that are going to be beneficial for all of us. You'll love listening to her. She's always fun to interview. So let's quit talking about her. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that personal item's tucked under the seat in front of you. Make sure your seatbelt is fastened low and across your hips. It's time for us to taxi to the runway and take off. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Rachel Moore, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again. I am so happy to be here. Oh, it's just an added bonus. You know, we had such great response to the first time we were together. And then you told me about something new you're working on. I thought, okay, here, this is good. We got an excuse to have you back on. You know, the <laughs> audience will be excited. The topic today is on mental fitness and positive intelligence. So we've yeah. got intellectual intelligence, emotional intelligence. I've heard of social intelligence. I've heard of people with zero intelligence, so we're <laughs> going to learn something good today. But before we get into those, uh, just for the sake of those who have not heard you before, take us through your background, Rachel. Tell us what you are doing right now and kind of how you got to this point. Yeah, sure. So I am an ICF credentialed life coach. Um, I, I do life coaching and executive coaching, actually. I work with primarily um, female leaders who are the very driven, ambitious, uh, you know, doing juggling all kinds of things, especially those that are juggling their career and motherhood. <laughs> and as a result, then they're overstressed, they're overworked, they are, you know, just exhausted and um, lonely a lot of times too. And, and so I really work with them in being able to learn how to to retrain their brains in ways that will help them to be able to be better 
so that they can do better and, and learn how to really kind of put on that oxygen mask first. So now a lot of them, they, they tend to do everything for everyone else um, and be super mom, super employee, super everything, but then they're super tired. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so they need to learn also how to, how to be able to, to put that, that mask on themselves and, uh, and really, really being able to do that. So I work with people, you know, one-on-one um, coaching. I also do group programs that helps with some of that loneliness and recognizing you're not alone in what you're going through and, and, you know, various programs that I do, one of which being the positive intelligence program, which I know we'll, we'll talk about here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And we met through our own Rachel Wallahan, who works for us at Boss Builders, who met you through a program called MOPS. So tell yes. us about MOPS. Yeah. So MOPS, it's, it's mothers of preschoolers. And what that is, is it's a group for, for moms um, with children ages five and under. It's usually a non-denominational Christian group. And so with that, then they have, you know, opportunities for the moms to come together again, to be able to, to navigate the world of motherhood <laughs> so that you're not doing it alone. Because I think that's one of the things is it can, it can be really challenging and, and it can and because you are so focused on just your kids sometimes um, or your work or whatever it is, then having that support system in place to really help you to be able to to know that, you know, you're not the only one who's struggling and that struggling is is OK, that you're OK. And, and that there are ways that you can you, you know be able to, to even do better. And that's one of the things that they bring in speakers also. And I'm part of their speaker network to be able to share messages with them. I, I just actually just right before this podcast, because I'm also trained uh, in CCATP as a clinical certified anxiety treatment professional uh, to be able to, I, I had a, a speaking engagement with a MOPS group about anxiety and how to manage your anxiety so it doesn't manage you and giving them some tools to be able to do that. So that's, uh, that's definitely, I love that to be able to speak to other moms in the trenches and and really be able to support them in that way. Cause you know, being one myself, I know how valuable that is and how much we need to be poured into. Well, actually, you know, we talked a little bit before we went on live together on, you know, just the challenges of trying to raise kids and for those who are working moms having yeah. to navigate. I mean, the, the hassles of work are enough to break anybody, but <laughs> then you come home to where you think you can catch your breath and then your kids don't know any different. As far as they know, they haven't seen mom all day. And so they're demanding full attention right there in the moment when you got very little left in the tank. So I yeah. suspect, Rachel, that you're a pretty much in-demand speaker with that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's definitely true. That's a great way to describe it. And and that's one of the things is, you know, as a mom who, who struggles with that challenge and blessing, <laughs> you know, is, you know, at this stage, my kids are, are seven and nine. And so they still want me around. Uh, they still want me to, you know, pay attention to everything that they're doing and be a part of their lives in such a profound way. Uh, so sometimes I just remind myself, this is a season. <laughs> There's going to come a time when they're probably not going to want to spend as much time with me. And so to really try to take advantage of that opportunity with them, because it is tough. You know, you do you you do so much and you are, you know, the super employee, the super mom, the super all these things. But you're also super tired. <laughs> and so it, it makes it really difficult to really, you know, it's a juggle a lot of times. And so to learn how to actually balance it so that it's um, it's something that that you can be able to navigate in a way that's that's life enhancing rather than life depleting. You know, I want to spend time on mental fitness and positive intelligence, but you had mentioned something just a moment ago on anxiety and that oh. you were certified in that. 
Yeah. Are you seeing that as something that's happening more these days or has it always been there or have we had it and just nobody knew what to call it? It's fresh in my mind. We watched uh, that thing on Netflix explained last night and they okay. had a real neat 30 minute snippet on anxiety, which I, I learned a lot from. I had no idea. So much of that was based on, you know, just chemical issues and, and just sometimes the stress of life. But are you seeing uh, people that are suffering with that more or at least talking about it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think I'll, I'll say this COVID just, just in 2020 alone, then anxiety went up by three times. Mm -hmm. Um, all the percent percentages that we're, we're seeing and which makes a lot of sense because anxiety craves two things. It craves certainty and comfort, which we had none of <laughs> during COVID. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it makes a lot of sense that that anxiety would increase and in the environment that we're currently in. And even still, you know, we don't have an idea a month from now or three months from now if things are going to shut back down again or if we're even going to be able to get the supplies that we're needing or if we're going to have to have masks or not have masks. What's going to happen with our kids in school or not in school? You know, all these kinds of things. And so it makes a lot of sense that there'd be a lot of anxiety at the same time, because I work with a lot of, you know, female leaders who are very driven, very ambitious. Um, a lot of times they also deal with a lot of high functioning anxiety and don't recognize anxiety for what it is. And, and anxiety is one, is so highly treatable. It's the number one mental health disorder in the United States affects, you know, 40 million people. Um, but it's, it's so highly, highly treatable. And that's one of the things is recognizing it. And I think there's been a lot more talk about it. And because of that, then a lot more people are recognizing it. And so I think that's also adding to the increase um, is just being able to be aware that it that it is something that you're challenged with. But everybody has anxiety, right? You know, that's one of the things I, I said in my talk. How you know what's the percentage of people who have anxiety? 100. <laughs> percent mm. We all do. And but there's a difference between everyday anxiety, which is helpful, and you know we want that because it's going to get you to get up off the couch and and take care of the things you need to do, or it's going to help you when you're walking through tall grass to you know be more vigilant for any of the, you know, potentials of snakes in the grass or whatever it may be. So we want anxiety. We don't want it to ever go away, but we want to be able to manage it so that it doesn't manage us. And there are tools and there are things that you can do to really help you to be able to do that. And because it is so highly treatable. And that's, that's one of the great news is about, about even with all these numbers going up, then, then you can definitely do something about it. That's good. I guess, so I, from what I saw on that show, anxiety is, it's sort of like when your amygdala is just on a heightened state of alert to yeah. where like there could be danger anywhere and yet there's no safe place to go even when there's no danger because you're still processing the danger, which I, I guess I didn't realize how that could really wear a person down after yeah. a while. It's just sort of like your muscles are always clenched and tensed waiting for something to happen. And after a while, it's like, you can't shut it off anymore. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what happens with anxiety is that there's some type of triggering event, right? And then you have these, these worried thoughts about whatever that event is. And based upon how you've kind of trained your brain, depending on how you typically have handled those, you know, worrisome events or situations or challenges, um, then you're, we've, we've learned from brain imaging that only you can only use one part of your brain at a time. And what a lot of people have done is that they hit the panic button in their brains. And basically that, that worrisome thought, then it triggers their amygdala, as you mentioned. And the thing that happens when the amygdala gets triggered and gets hijacked, right? That's, that's the fight, flight, freeze part of our brain. 
and and so we we think that we're in a place where we need to survive. And so what will end up happening is when the amygdala gets activated, then it actually creates a physical response in our body because it turns on the adrenal glands and, and we start pumping adrenaline and cortisol and all these things into our systems. And the problem is, is that when that starts to happen, it shuts down what is non-essential <laughs> systems, which is like digestive system, right? And that's the reason why people have a lot of stomach issues or, you know, a lot of people have problems with sleeping because if you're in survival mode, you're not going to be sleeping, you know? And so it, which is actually sleep issues is the number one reason people go to get help with anxiety and find out they even have anxiety is because of their sleep issues. But, um, yeah. And so the, it ends up causing this, you know, this chaos in your body and which causes even more worrisome thoughts, which keeps you in this cycle, right? Cause you're like, Oh my goodness, why is my, why is my heart beating so fast? Am I having a heart attack? You know, no, it's because you've just pumped all this stuff into your body because you've activated your amygdala, which then activated these other parts of your body. And so, so yeah, it's a very biological thing that's happening for you. And that's part of what you need to learn how to do is how to be able to, to, you know, activate that self-command muscle, um, which will really help you to be able to shift to your prefrontal cortex, especially like the middle prefrontal cortex, which is where insight and emotional regulation and all of those kinds of things are made possible because again, you can only activate one part of your brain at a time. And so if you're activating that part, that's going to cause all these things to happen in your body, then you're not in the place of emotional regulation. You're not in a place of, of insight and, and really being able to, to do what it is that you need to do. Well, the sad reality is that there's really no relief from triggers, I guess. I, I saw a cartoon not long ago where it says, you know, the number one treatment for anxiety and it shows a guy turning the TV off, oh. you know, from the news because yeah, I, you could watch the news and I know, you know, bad news sells. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we seem to have anymore. And so you get to have a steady diet of that. And then of course, social media that, you know, at, at least this show was saying, you know, how that can raise some of it as well, because you're looking for approval and, this is a really tough time that we're in. And, and yeah. I don't even know if it's going to change when one day COVID goes away, because usually just, there's something all the time. So I suspect you'll probably, you know, be involved with this for a very long time. It just seems like you know, everybody's really being impacted and nobody's in a good place. So, yeah. But, but let me ask you this, and I'm just going based on face value of the word. Okay. Mental fitness is yeah. would mental fitness be a counteraction to that or what exactly is it? That's a great question. So mental fitness kind of in a nutshell, it's the capacity to be able to positively respond to life's situations and challenges. And that's one of the problems is so if we're talking about anxiety, for example, and anytime we're in a state of fear, <laughs> right? Which is, is, you know, mental fitness helps you to be able to mitigate that because it, it's, you're not going to be able to positively respond. It's basically mental fitness is being able to respond rather than react to the situations and, you know, challenges that you experience in life. So the reaction is that sort of just gut level reaction versus a, a well thought out response. Is that the difference? Yeah. So one of the main differences, you know, Victor Frankl said something that I love. He said, between stimulus and response, there's space. And one of my friends, then she misquoted that actually at one point. And I love what she misquoted though. She said, between stimulus and response, there's breath. Hmm. And, and yeah, we have, we have choice. We have a choice to, to, you know, we, maybe we don't have a choice of what's happening. We don't have a choice of, you know, the triggering events. 
um, or even maybe the thought we immediately think or the feeling we immediately experience. But we do have a space between how, you know, what actually happens and how we're going to respond. And a lot of times, if you don't take that breath, if you don't do those kinds of things, you activate those parts of your brain, then you're just simply reacting, right? But if you are going to be able to activate those parts of your brain that are going to help you, that are going to serve you, that are going to be able to help you to have the, you know, the thinking that is going to, to be healthy kinds of thinking, then that's where you get to respond. So, so someone who's got a bigger space or breath, would that be somebody who you might consider to be more mentally fit? Um, I would say that it's a portion of it. Okay. Right? If you're able to, to breathe in the situation and be more mindful, be able to get back into, you know, being grounded in your body rather than in your thoughts and all the worrisome thoughts that are going to trigger your amygdala, that are going to trigger all these physical responses that are going to trigger more worrisome thoughts. Yeah, that breath, it's, it's a huge tool to be able to help you to, to have more self-command and really be able to switch to those parts of your brain that are helpful. So that's that's definitely a portion of, but there are other parts of it too that, that are um, impacting your mental fitness for sure. Okay. So where does the PQ fit into the process then, the positive intelligence? Yeah. So PQ is basically how your mental fitness is measured. Okay. Um, PQ, it was, it's, it was created by, um, it was a measure created by Shirzad Shamin and his team, Positive Intelligence Incorporated, who I, I get to partner with. Mm. Um, and so, so with that, then positive intelligence, it basically, it's the percentage of how often you're, um, able to be in a, in a state of, you know, a heightened, heightened consciousness, essentially being able to, to think better and to feel better and to do these kinds of things versus you know when you're self-sabotaging so so that's what pq is it's basically it's helping you to be able to um it gives you it measures your emotion it measures your actual uh, mental fitness and and it and a way that to kind of think about this is you mentioned you know iq eq these kinds of things earlier mm. so eq and um iq those basically kind of inform you about what your potential is okay pq helps you to actually unlock your potential because it helps you to be able to get out of your own way to stop self-sabotaging and be able to access those parts of your brain and be able to access what Shirzad calls the five powers of the sage um, part of you to be able to help you to be able to, to have the kinds of things that you're wanting in your life. So the five powers of the sage, what are those about? Yeah. So the five powers of the sage. So so basically, you know, you asked about breathing and how that's, you know, affects things. So there's really three core mental muscles that have been identified. And this is over, um, you know, some based on some breakthrough research that he's done, which brings, brings in neuroscience, um, performance science, cognitive psychology, um, positive psychology, all these things. And they found that there are three core mental muscles that are necessary for mental fitness. And the sage muscle being one of them. Um, another part is that self-command muscle that we talked about earlier with the breathing. And that's, that's a portion of the self-command. Um, but the sage muscle, then, then that's really being able to see everything that happens as a gift and an opportunity in, in neuro-linguistic programming terms, <laughs> some training in NLP too, then that's basically, there's no, there's no failure. There's only feedback. Okay. Right. And, you know, um, you know, Christian terms, a lot of times that's, there's a message or a lesson from God in everything, right? Okay. So being able to see that there's a, there's a gift and an opportunity and part of that, you know, sage perspective, then also it's these five powers, 
you know, when it comes to um, emotional intelligence, there's like 18 components, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they've boiled it all down from through factor analysis, which is basically, and you know, bringing something down to its its core core level. So, you know, out of all the you know many many colors out there, you can bring it all down to red, yellow, and blue, <laughs> right? So that's factor analysis. And that's what they've done with all of these things that there are five real like superpowers, so uh -huh. to speak, of the sage and um, and really learning learning what those are and really learning how to activate them um, and, and really being able to use those in your life to combat those ways in which we would typically self-sabotage. Wow. So that actually gives you, it sounds almost like you have five strategies to handle what is just sort of a threat or whatever it is that's spinning up your anxiety or stress or that, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, it's funny because uh, they had this guy on the, you know, this is my education anymore. It's watching TV, but they had this monk, <laughs> right? Because the whole thing explained was talking about that. And this guy's brain was so trained. It's like they could stick him in his machine and he could think about one thing and you wouldn't even see the, the other part of his brain light up. It's like he could really control that. Is that kind of what we're trying to do is to put some controls onto what for many of us is just sort of a free flowing uh, exchange of ideas and stresses and threats and I, you know, all these things. Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. It's kind of, you know, this monk, he's probably done a lot of practicing of that self-command muscle, especially mm -hmm. and really being able to activate. Cause again, with brain imaging, you can only activate one part of your brain at a time. And so really being able to be in a place where you're able to activate the parts that are going to help you a lot more um, mm -hmm. is one of the things that's, that's, you know, a huge part of all of this. And really being able to um, to do those kinds of things. It's it's not about changing who you are. <laughs> Definitely not. It's about being able to just learn how to function better. And that's one of the things with positive intelligence. They found you know over five hundred thousand participants in over fifty countries at this point. They found that you know three major impacts um, of being able to do this is not only being able to have peak performance, really be able to be your best self and perform at your highest levels. But really being able to have that lasting peace and happiness, because a lot of people, they experience success, but they don't experience happiness or peace along with it. Right. So learning how to have that as well. And then also healthy relationships. So so those are kind of the three major impacts with positive intelligence is peak performance, healthy relationships and lasting peace and happiness. So all of these things that you're talking about, I mean, how do we get these? How do we build these different strengths up? I mean, because I'm thinking specifically of sort of a, an average, maybe listener to my podcast, right? So uh, HR department of one, uh, <laughs> she is overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed and underappreciated. Yeah. Uh, she has two small children at home and they complain because mom's always too tired to read to them. So she sits in traffic on the way home and then she walks in the door and her husband's sitting in the chair with a beer and a bag of chips watching TV and says, what's for dinner? So that's a scenario I know is real for many people because oh, yeah. we, we understand our audience and this is what they struggle with a lot. It's not only at work, it's at home. Yeah. What is a strategy? I mean, it seems like you would be not just at baseline level, you would be almost in a negative in terms of your capacity to grow out of that. What would be the first step for somebody who's listening and says, my God, he knows me. This is me. Is there help or can you get to a point where you're too far gone? Yeah, you you, you can't get to a part that you're too far gone, um, I would say. I, I think there's there's always help for, for everyone. 
Um, I know Shirzad, even in, you know, that's one of the things that he talks about is how he was clinically depressed for years, right? And so he, when he was in that state, then he wasn't quite at a state where he was motivated maybe to do anything about it. Um, but he wasn't too far gone. He was still able to to get some help and get to the point where he is able to do things about this. So I don't I don't think you're too far gone until you're dead, <laughs> essentially. Okay, well, then you don't have to worry anyway, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So, but that's one of the things is really, you know, so what can you do? Um, it's really building up those three core mental muscles. And, you know, the, the other mental muscle is the saboteur interceptor muscle. And I think that's one of the places for a lot of people to start is recognizing how you're actually getting in your own way, how you're actually sabotaging your relationships or your, you know, being your best self or, you know, your own happiness levels. And that's one of the things that, um, that you, there's an assessment that you can take and you can find that on my website, but it's, it, you know, it helps you to be able to identify what are the ways in which you are actually self-sabotaging. Jerzai calls them the agents of self-sabotage um, there. And, and again, through factor analysis, breaking it all down, you know, 50 countries, all these people, they found that there's one, one, um, so there's 10 and there's one that's universal. Everybody's got it. And, and that's called the judge. And the judge, um, it's kind of like the inner critic, but the judge actually has three modes, not just one, because the inner critic is really where you're really hard and, and judging yourself a lot, um, very critically, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the judge, it has three modes. So it's, it's saying I'm bad is one mode, but it's also the mode of saying you're bad, <laughs> right? Oh. Judging others. Mm -hmm. and, and, then there's, and then the third mode is judging a situation or circumstances bad. So basically... You know, if I were, if I wasn't so bad, then I would be happy. If you weren't so bad, then I could be happy. If this situation was different, then I could be happy. Right. And so that's, mm -hmm. that's one of the ways in which we can, we all um, self-sabotage, but there are nine other ways. And so recognizing out of those nine ways, which ones are your, you know, loudest saboteurs, so to speak, you've got, and, you know, just even by their names, you can pretty much figure out just hearing them probably which ones might be yours but the assessment is extremely helpful. But the the nine other ones, in addition to the judge, um, that you might have their accomplices, so to speak. Then um, then there's the hyper achiever, there's the hyper vigilant, the hyper rational. There's also the victim, the stickler, the controller, the restless, the avoider, and the pleaser. And by taking the assessment, it only takes five minutes. Then you're able to find out which ones are your <clears throat> your top saboteurs, so to speak, um, which are your top accomplices so that you can start doing something about it. Because awareness is the greatest catalyst for change. So I'd say that's one of the first places to start is recognizing, recognizing how you're getting in your own way. Right. And so those those saboteurs, yeah. those almost sound like are those maybe our very basic rudimentary defense mechanisms that we we see a threat and we either try to explain it or justify it is, is that it's kind of what I thought I heard. Is that what the saboteur actually does? You know, it's interesting that that's one way to look at it. The way that the saboteurs are formed basically is throughout your life. And a lot of times these were formed for us when we were kids and it's um, and, and a lot of times they actually come from our greatest strengths, right? So somebody who is a controller, for example, has, or has that controller saboteur, then they might, you know, try to control situations and try to do these kinds of things. But they're also highly organized people and they have a lot of amazing strengths that kind of tend to push them into 
having that saboteur if that strength is overused or abused. And basically what it comes down to is as you were growing up, then you identified for yourself the, you know, how to complete this, the sentences in order to survive, I must blank. Right. And that survival mm -hmm. could be, you know, emotional survival, physical survival, whatever. Right. But in order to be safe or in order to survive, I must, or in order to succeed, then I must. Right. And that's where, you know, the hyperachiever thought, oh, I have to do all these, all these things for people to love me, for people to, uh, to be able to succeed. I have to constantly be achieving. Right. Or, you know, in order to be loved, I must. And that's mm -hmm. like the pleaser who, you know, they're very empathetic people. They, they, they're very feeling, they, they love people. But at the same time, it's been overused to the point that now they feel like they have to be pleasing everyone else all the time and putting everyone else's needs first, or they're not going to be loved themselves or they're not going to be liked themselves. Right. And so that's where it got overused using some of our innate, you know, gifts and talents being overused or abused to the point that now we're at, we've landed ourselves in self-sabotage. What age do you think people begin to build those patterns in where they start to use an over an overused version of a strength to counteract anxiety or threats? Is that is there an age where that might start? Because I'm just thinking now, I mean, if, if we're adults and struggling, what if we could go back in time? Is there an age where that's when it all started? Was it an issue at home? And maybe my, my big question is, as a parent, because we've got many of them listening who hear this and say, my God, I hope I'm not creating this for my kid where 20 years from now, they're going to say, thanks, mom. Uh, is, is this preventable? Because it sounds like what we do with PQ and mental fitness is like after the horse has left the barn, now we've got to <laughs> fix it. I mean, could we preempt it? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a great question. That's one of the reasons, honestly, why I partnered with Shurzad. Um, and Positive Intelligence Incorporated to bring this out to my clients um, is because, like I said, most of my clients are female leaders and mothers, right? And and that's one of the things for them is is their parenting. They really want to be able to affect the next generation in a positive way. And that's one of the things that, that Positive Intelligence can do. And based on research that has been done, then they have found that um, usually by about age six, maybe six, seven, then most of our beliefs that we have that are limiting us um, are formed. Wow. And so it's, it's that, that young. And so you can do things. And I know I have two little kids and so I'm working with them already. Um, you know, it's, I, that's one of the things of being able to go through the six week program is you learn all these things for yourself and then you get to model it for your kids. My kids get to see me doing what are the PQ reps essentially that are the th kinds of the things that help me to be able to get into my you know, accessing my self-command muscle and get into a better place of thinking. Whenever they see me getting frustrated, they get, they get to see me doing this. And I'm actually telling them, guys, I, I give me a space for just a moment. Let me breathe. Let me do these things, you know, and then they see me respond differently. Or I get to tell them, hey, you know, I have some of these saboteurs that are kind of affecting me and, and getting me to, you know, respond in these ways that I, you know, getting, you know, reacting really not responding. And so they're recognizing that this is something that's, you know, happens and then recognizing for themselves that judge that's universal. And we know that that's something that everybody has. And so being able to recognize how it's affecting them and how it's getting in their own way. I know my own son, and that's one of the things I talked with him about was, you know, the part of him that, that says, you know, you're, he's dumb and recognizing that that's the saboteur talking. That's not mm. him talking. 
and being able to, to call it out. And he sees me and he, he hears my language and he hears me talking with him as his parent so that he's able to start picking up on the fact that there are these other things happening and there's something I can do about it. It just seems to me then if they're going to get, because you, I mean, you are, a, you are an adult who understands this, yeah. but that doesn't even take into account your kids, teachers, bus drivers, neighbors, you know, that's really scary to think that somebody could be impacted by somebody else's really bad day. And that sets off a chain of events where they get to be, you know, mid thirties and realize I'm this, I'm that I'm dumb. I can't do this. And that's, it's actually pretty frightening. I feel like I have anxiety now and I'm (laughs) not even, my kids are grown. It, It really does concern me though. Yeah. Is it that easy for somebody to get one or two bad pieces of advice or feedback and that sets them off on this really bad path? It can. And that's the thing is, is, you know, some parents say, what did I do? What, what should I, I I have done differently. And a lot of times, again, this is, this is where it's your, their innate gifts and their innate abilities that have gotten them to have form these strategies of how they can succeed or how they can feel safe or whatever it is. And it might have nothing to do with your parenting, might have nothing to do with your home life, might have everything to do with a teacher or might have everything to do with a friend or might have everything to do with you know, I have I have a family member who, you know, swears that in fourth grade, then there was some girl, there were some girls that were mean to her and said some mean things to her. And and she has carried that throughout her life at this point, you know, and so it's you can't protect your kids from every negative experience that's going to happen out there. But you can instill in them the gifts that and the tools to be able to to do something about it. So let me run a hypothetical by you, because what yeah. you just said really resonated with me. My dad, when he was alive, he told so he told my brother and I when we were little kids, he told our our kids. So his grandkids, the same story when he was in second grade, mm-hmm. they had a wood shop class. He his father left when he was real little, beat him up real bad and then left. Never saw him again till he was you know in his 70s. But wow. In woodshop class, the teacher told the kids to make a boat out of wood. So my dad had no idea how to do it. So he took a little block of wood and pounded a whole bunch of nails into it. Well, the teacher comes up, picks up the little boat, holds it up and says in front of the class, class, what's wrong with this boat? And everybody yells too many nails. Now, I think that bothered my dad his entire adult life. And everything he did in life was underachieving and very low self-esteem. I remember as a kid, you know, he'd be, I had a a Charlie Brown book of Charlie Brown and Lucy said to Charlie Brown, you're wishy-washy. So I asked my dad, I said, Hey dad, what's Mm wishy-washy? He says, you can't figure anything out. He says, that's me. That one incident was the trigger that set him off on a path for his entire life where I truly believe as far as I remember, he quit everything he ever started. Yeah, that scares me because that's going to be the story of many people. So this positive intelligence, the mental fitness, that could be a way that we can counteract some of those. What you know, that teacher's long dead and gone. But I bet that teacher didn't remember that incident ever. But for my dad, it was vivid enough that even his grandkids, who are all adults and great grandkids, all know that story. So, I mean, is that that is worst case scenario what you're proposing can actually stop that from happening, right? Yeah. So it's, again, that was because of that, what happens with our brains, right? Is we have a thought about something. Um, A lot of times we first recognize the feeling, but our thoughts and our feelings 
then those impact the kinds of, of actions that we do or don't take in our lives. Right. And then based upon that, then that influences the experiences or the results that we get. And then based on that, then we build evidence for ourselves and create these beliefs, which then go into affect our thoughts and our feelings. And it becomes this, what I call the creation cycle. That's how everything's created in our lives. It starts with our thoughts. And that's basically what we're doing is we're retraining your brain. And that's one of the beauties um, of, the, of what neuroscience has taught us is that, you know, our brains, we have neuroplasticity, meaning that we can change our brains. doesn't matter what age you are. You can retrain your brain in a way that will stop hurting you and start serving you. And, and, and yeah, we all have things. We all have things that we've done that we've experienced that we've, you know, internalized and, and that are ways we all have saboteurs. We all have these, um, which ones are louder for you depend most likely on your, like I said, your own gifts and, um, natural abilities, but we all have them. And so really learning how to work with them, you know, there's really three ways that you can deal with any challenge in life. You can change it, you can leave it, or you can change your relationship to it. Mm. And most things we can't change or leave. And so what, what we're left with is changing our relationship to it. And that's what PQ and the six week program that I bring people through is to really learn how to change your relationship to it. And really learning how to be able to have those tool, tools that will help you to really be able to, to, again, have those healthy relationships you're wanting to really be able to, to, you know, be your best self and really be able to have that peace and that happiness. And that will, you know, you will then put out in the world, right? Because that's the thing is there's a ripple effect in this world. We're all connected. You know, you and I were talking about that a little bit before we, before we yeah. started here, you know, the six degrees of separation is probably more like three degrees at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's that ripple effect. And so by working on yourself, you really are impacting the world because what you put out matters. Well, you absolutely convinced me. I'll tell you, if you're listening to this today and this has struck a nerve, uh, then I think you need to reach out to Rachel. So on that note, yeah. before I feel like I need to sit on the couch for some therapy, um, <laughs> How do we reach out to you? How can we take that assessment and how can we actually work with you if this is something that we are either struggling with or we want to preempt? How do we find you, Rachel? Well, thank you for asking that. You can find me online. Um, I'm at rachelmorecoaching.com. It's R-A-C-H-E-L-M-O-H-R coaching.com. And if you go to my website, rachelmorecoaching.com forward slash mental hyphen fitness, then you can find the, the six week program that I talk about. And on that, you can click on a button that says more details. And that will bring you to, you know, really if for somebody who wants to know a whole lot about the program, exactly what we do every single one of the six weeks and all that kind of thing. There's also buttons to be able to take the assessment, to be able to not only take the assessment to figure out, you know, what are the loudest saboteurs for you, but also uh, there's another button to be able to find out how mentally fit you really are. Because what we've found from all the research that's been done is 80% of people are not actually at the minimum level for mental fitness. Wow. And so really being able to figure out where are you, how, how mentally fit are you really? Right. And so being able to, to then learn that, you know, with this six weeks and that's been, it's been, proven in brain imaging that within six to eight weeks of just this, you know, doing these programs, doing the things in this program, 
then you start to develop the gray matter. You start to increase the gray matter in those parts of your brain that you that you want to be able to utilize and you start to decrease them in the other parts of your brain that you you want to be able to have more atrophied and not be so strong right so it's it's there it's it's proven research and this works and i you know i went through the program myself before i was willing to partner with shirzad to see you know is this something that really does impact people is it really doing what it says i can say for me hands down yes an absolute yes so yeah, so you can find me um, on Instagram and on Facebook too at Rachel Moore Coaching. Everything's Rachel Moore Coaching, so it's the same, right? But um, but yeah, RachelMooreCoaching.com is my website forward slash mental hyphen fitness. Excellent. You can find everything about the program there. Good. Well, Rachel, hey, thank you so much for being willing to come back on the show and to share this. This is some really, really powerful stuff. If you're listening today, please check out Rachel Moore and get involved in this program. I think that it's something very, very positive for you. Rachel, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me again, Mac. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.